See the relationship between the two passages here, Psalm 107, and the same God who stills the storm is the same one who stills the storm in Mark, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. But uh, let's read Psalm 107. It's, back, it's, a, it's Old Testament background, but it's fulfilled in Jesus. Psalm 107, verse 23. hear God's word. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waters of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their desired haven. On that, oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of the elders. And our focus is Mark 4, uh, verse 35 through 41. On the same day, so this is after, so it's actually the same day when Jesus was still teaching parables. Remember he was teaching from the boat, if you go back to 4, verse 1. And Now we read in verse 35, On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let's cross over to the other side. When they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern fast asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be? that even the wind and the sea obey him. you like to be in a boat in a storm? I don't. I don't like boats, period. So even a little bit of this makes me sick. And when I hear stories from people about boats going like this and like this, I almost faint as I'm walking with that person. So I can't imagine how scary it is. Is this a true story? Yeah. It really, really, really happened. You look at all the details. It's so vivid. Right? It was evening. There were other boats. There's a pillow in the back of the boat and Jesus is sleeping on it. Uh... 
the, uh, the disciples get, uh, get become very rude in their response to Christ. And then you hear Jesus' loving rebuke. I mean, there's all kinds of evidence that point to the fact that it's so historical. And it is historical. You think about it, boys and girls. How do we know that this really happened? It's not just a story. How do we know it really happened? Because the Bible says so. It really happened. There was really a boat. There was really the 12 disciples. It was really Jesus in there. And there were those terrible waves. It really, really happened. Do you know what? In this story, Jesus wants to teach us something. He does this miracle for our sakes. To show that we can really trust him in the deepest agonies in our life. We can really, really trust him. And you know, it's really important to pay attention to what happens in Mark 4. What was Jesus doing? He was teaching parables. And in those parables, what was he saying? He was saying that those who reject him, those who don't believe in him, they'll never understand. They won't be able to hear it the way they should. They won't be able to see it the way they should. But those who respond in faith, they understand. Now the question is, after Jesus explains the parables to his disciples, the inner circle, do his disciples really hear the way that Jesus wants them to hear? Do they really know him the way that he wants them to know him? Do they really understand? Do they really believe? Well, let's see how they respond to this big, big test in their life. Do they really put their trust and their faith in Jesus? And now Jesus, he knows everything. He prepares everything. And he's going to test their faith. Now it's really interesting that in the early church, you can find uh, pictures, many drawings, where the church is pictured as a boat. Right? The church is pictured as a boat being tossed to and fro and upside down, well not upside down, back and forth in the waves and the storm. And who stands in the middle of the boat? Jesus. And it pictures that the church has nothing to fear about. With Christ, we are safe. Not because our faith is so strong. <laughs> our faith is sometimes so, so little. But because he is so strong. And his promises are true. And he is faithful. And that's our goal this morning. Is that don't look at your own faith. There's always going to be imperfections. Our goal is that we keep our eyes focused on Christ. He's big. He is really big. And it all depends on, on Christ. Yes, we need to trust on him. We're never going to trust him perfectly. And that's what we're going to see with the disciples this morning. The disciples, they were his very own. They were his prized possession. Did they have a lot of faith? <laughs> no. No. As a matter of fact, Jesus says at one point they had no faith. What we're going to see this morning is that in the light of the fact that 
with Christ, we are safe. We see three things. And I think it's probably in the Punjabi Bible too. But the word great appears three times. If you look at verses 35 to 38, the great storm. So we'll talk about great. The great storm. What the tufan? The great storm. And if you look at verse 39, what do you read there? A great calm. A great calm. And the last one, you read in verse 40, 41, they feared exceedingly. Literally means a great fear. You notice with each one of those words, it uses the word mega. You know what a mega is? Some mega is something really big. Right? So it's all different forms of the mega. A mega storm, a mega calm, and a mega fear. And that's what we look at this morning. We look at uh, that division in light of those three fears. Or, sorry, those three greats. So, did this storm come by accident on the sea? Did just sort of nature just sort of drove that storm? No. No, who permits it? Christ does. By him all things were created. And he's the one who, by whom all things are directed. Even nature. He knows. He permits this storm to come. But you notice in verse 35 it begins with these words. On the same day. Which day was that? The same day he was teaching these parables to many. And he was sitting in that, in that same boat on the sea. And there he was teaching. From that boat he was teaching the multitudes. A long, exhausting day for our Savior. Imagine, early in the morning, just teaching, 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 teaching. Never stopping. And then afterwards, taking his disciples aside and explaining the parables to them. And now it's evening. And he says to them, let's cross over to the other side. So they were on the, on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. So it would be about seven miles seven miles across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Why does Jesus say that? It doesn't say, but we can be pretty sure that if we keep Mark 1 verse 38 in mind, his purpose was that he had to go there to the other side to preach the good news of the kingdom as well. There were the Gentiles there on the other side. Verse 36 we read that they need, now left the multitudes. They take Jesus along in the boat as he was. What's that mean, as he was? Just tired. Exhausted. So much in need of sleep. And then verse 37, that's the focus. A great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat. And what was happening to that boat? It was filling up with water. That's terrifying. Especially if you're scared of water already. Like me. Maybe there were disciples that were. Some of them were fishermen, so they were experienced. But even they didn't know what to do anymore. It was a terrifying storm. You know, apparently, it is said that many ships today sink to their watery graves in the oceans. You never hear about it. It's never reported on. But... Apparently there are many ships that just sink to the bottom of the ocean, to the ocean floor, unreported. 
But here we're told it was a great windstorm. It's a special kind of windstorm, especially in that area. It's a kind of windstorm where there were repeated gusts of wind. So it would, a powerful gust of wind would come, subside. Come, subside. Back and forth. And it was those kinds of storms that often ended up on the Sea of Galilee. And why is that? Well, if you look at a map, you begin to see that the Sea of Galilee is kind of like a basin. It's below sea level. And it's surrounded by mountains or great big hills. And among the great big hills, there's narrow valleys. And often the winds from the north particularly from Mount Hermon, where it was really high, they would, just, they would just scoot right between the valleys, cooler air, and it would meet the hot air above the sea, it would clash, and then you had these powerful gusts that would just come, just whip up the waves, and the boat would be just tossing and turning as if it was nothing. That's what we see happening here. The boat was caught in the middle of it. It says here, beaten. I mean, you can imagine. It's like taking an axe to the wood. It was just beaten by the waves. Powerful forces. And then also at the same time filling up with water. You may want to know this. This is really interesting. In the Bible, throughout the Bible, the sea symbolizes restlessness. Uh, there's no rest in the sea. It symbolizes insubordination. What's that mean? Insubordination means one that refuses to yield, one that refuses to give in to someone else, right? Refuses to submit to it. That's the picture of the sea throughout the Bible. It needs to be ruled. It needs to be governed. And when its waves rise, sorry, Psalm 89 verse 9 speaks of that very clearly. It talks about the Lord ruling the raging of the seas. And when the waves rise, he's the one that stills them. Okay, the sea in the Bible represents hostile powers. And these are powers, the hostile powers of nature that came into the world. They weren't there before man sinned. They came into the world through our sin, our sin in Adam. Then you have the hostile powers of nature, including the sea. We know that also from Revelation 21. Because if you read verse 1, it talks about one of the glories to come, that in the new heaven and new earth, there will be no more what? No more sea. No more sea. It will be subdued. It will be gone forever. Now look at verse 37 again. When you read about this happening to the boat, you can almost sympathize with the boat the boat is almost very anxious. The boat itself. You're saying, well, the boat is not a person. But you get the sense of, of the boat itself being very, very anxious, filled with uh, restlessness. And the focus here is that the boat is on a sea of death. Where's Jesus? He is fast asleep. Could any one of us sleep in a storm like that? Could you, Jasmine, sleep in a storm like that? I don't think so. No. No. Jesus was asleep. Where? Below, in the back of the boat, on a pillow. By the way, 
It's really interesting. This is the only time in the Gospels where you read about Jesus sleeping. <laughs> and ironically, it's in the worst, worst possible storm where, where the church is ready to sink to its watery grave. It's the only time where you read about Jesus sleeping. But you know what? What we need to see here is the contrast. The contrast between what? The contrast between Jesus sleeping in the stern and the, the restlessness of the boat and the restless hearts of the disciples, the angst, the anxiety. There's the big contrast. What do you see in Jesus here? You see Jesus com- completely human, truly human, like us, without, except without sin. What do you see here? You see his complete trust. His complete trust in the Lord, in the God, in the midst of a terrible storm. Even if you read Hebrews 2, verse 12, you read the words of Jesus there. What's he say there? Jesus says, I will put my trust in him. And you look at that, that quote, and it brings you back to Psalm 18, verse 2. And there it brings us a beautiful context. The Lord is my rock. My fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust. Unshakable trust. Christ trusted his heavenly Father. Christ said, didn't he? We have to go to the other side. Trusted him. His disciples? Their their lives were ready to fall apart. They were in such angst and such despair They're ready to fall apart like the boat. And again, experienced fishermen, but there is no way that this storm was in their hands. It was outside of their control totally. You ever had that in life? Situations totally outside of your control? This was was the disciples. Jesus is sleeping? What? He's sleeping? They go down there, they shake him, and they wake him up. He says, Jesus, Master, Teacher, don't you really, don't you care at all that we're perishing? Aren't you concerned about us? I mean, it's very rude. But you know, sometimes that happens when we're in great despair. Things just come out of our mouths that we might not ever say. And that was his disciples. It's very easy when we have Big, big trouble in our lives. And we all face that. We all have troubles in our lives. It's easy to think the Lord doesn't care. He doesn't care about me. Lord, why don't you do something about it? Why are you forgetting me? His psalms are filled with those kinds of sentiments. But you know what we need to remember? Yes, in those times we easily think that the Lord is forsaking his children. Does a mother ever forsake a child or a father? Never. Well, perhaps there are times, but not the Lord. He never, ever, ever forsakes his own. Never. To say that he does is not to tell the truth. What does this show? When we start thinking in these ways, 
when we talk about how the Lord doesn't care or think about that, what does that really reflect? A lack of trust in him. Is Jesus so small? No. It reflects a lack of faith. And really, it's not Jesus forsaking us, but we're forsaking Jesus. That's what's happening. That's what the disciples were doing by not trusting in him. They were forsaking him as who he really was, the one whom they can 100% confidently trust because he is fully faithful, fully trustworthy. You know, I think one little application comes to mind. Sometimes, just one little example. There's so many examples in our lives. Sometimes there's a temptation to think that ah, we're, we're so busy. We're so busy in our daily day lives and, you know, uh, we're too busy with work on Sundays too. And there's no calm. There's no quiet. There's no peace. Because we allow those things to rule us. We allow the, the rages of the storms to, to rule our lives. And when you think about it, when there's no calm, no quiet, no peace, I mean, the Lord is the source of calm. That's why he's given this day. He's the source of it. But perhaps when we think this way, it's because we're motivated by fear, are we not? A doubt that maybe Jesus won't provide. If, we, if we're calm and restful on Sunday, maybe Jesus won't provide for us anymore. That's not trust. That's not trust at all. We're easily agitated inside of us, just like that storm-whipped whipped sea. But here you see Christ. It's an invitation to calm, to rest. <laughs> There's nothing to worry about. Nothing. Certainly we, in our human nature, we get worried. We do lack faith. That, that, that just gives evidence of it. Right? Our lack of faith. But notice here that Jesus never condemns them for their lack of faith. He says there's no reason to. There's no reason to lack, to, to lack faith. You only hurt yourself. That's what he's basically going to be saying. But here on the sinking boat where Jesus was sleeping, he is the one who permitted this mega storm. And he's going to see, are my disciples going to trust me? Are they going to have the kind of ears that really hear my word, that really understand who I am? Do they know me as I want them to know me? Will Christ fail them? No. Didn't he say to them, let's go over to the other side? What does that mean? They'll reach the other side. He didn't fail them. Does he ever fail in any one of his promises? No. Hebrews 13, verse 6, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Beautiful promises. Yes. Matter of fact, even as Christ is in the boat with them, he knows he's going to the cross for their sins. They can be so sure of his love for them. If he's willing to go to the cross for their sins, how sure they can really be. They can be very sure. But you know what? It's really interesting. If you look at the picture here, even though they have very little faith, there's still that little seed of faith because where do they go? 
they turned to Jesus. But you say, yeah, but they were not believing. Yeah, but they still turned to Jesus. They still turned to him. And whatever tiny glimmer of faith they had came from Jesus so that they turn and go to him. They were very rude. They were very untrusting. But they still go to Jesus. And that brings us to our second point. Great storm. But he brings a great calm. He's the one who brings the great calm. And here you see the the majesty of Christ. In the first point, you see him sleeping on a pillow. So human. Perfectly human. Truly human. Like us, except without sin. But now, they begin to see the other side. Jesus is going to reveal himself to them. This is who I am. I'm the king. I'm the Lord. I am God. And what does he do? He uses his powerful word, simply the the simple word from his mouth, to rule over the wind and the waves. See verse 39? Then Jesus arose. You just have this picture of this, the majesty of Christ, the glory of Christ, standing with his hands like this, and his hands over the, protecting his disciples. He's not going to forsake them. He's not going to let them go. And he rebukes the wind. And he says to the sea, peace, be still. That same word by which all of heaven and earth were created is that same word now that brings those hostile powers of nature into subjection to Christ. <laughs> Think That's good news for us. Think of those hostile things inside of us. He's powerful enough to bring it and subject them to himself so that there is perfect calm. That's what he does here. Peace. Be still. You know that word rebuke? It's that same word that Jesus used of rebuking the demon in the man in chapter 1 verse 25. Now this is not saying that there were evil spirits in the wind. Wind doesn't have evil spirits. It simply says he rebuked the wind. But the wind, you could say, was insubordinate. It was acting contrary to God's original design and creation. It was unyielding. And it must be brought. It must be controlled. It must be governed to be brought into subjection to the king. It must be ruled. Wow, if Jesus can do that to the wind, you know there's good news. He can do that in our lives. No problem. But it's just a matter of asking, want that calm? It's just a matter of going to him, asking him. Yeah, but I don't have enough faith. Go to him. He's big enough. Ask him. He's powerful enough. To the sea, he simply speaks two words. Hush. That's literally what it means. Hush. Be still. He addresses the sea as if it was like a personal being. You! It's like he addresses it as a person. You! Be still! The seas are like the hearts of his disciples. Restless, afraid, no peace, anxious, unsettled. But you know what? Christ's divine word has the power to effect, to bring about a deep, great calm. Verse 39 The wind ceased, 
and there was a great calm. Isn't this what men and women in our world need today? Boys and girls, isn't that what we need? Living in our families, that calm. One to calm our hearts in our schools. There's only one that can bring that perfect calm, or you can say perfect, that can bring that great calm. And that's Christ. That's the calming effect of his word, the word of God. It's powerful, and by his spirit, he brings great calm. He, he removes fear. He removes doubt. It doesn't mean fear doesn't come back. It doesn't mean doubt comes back. Well, they do. But we go to him for that assurance. You know, Jesus hears their fearful cry. They were rude. They didn't ask him in a nice way, but he hears them because there's still that little tiny seed of faith in them. They turn to him. In the Old Testament, the wind and the waters, we see just some examples of the rebellious forces. They were like the rebellious forces over which God rules. He's the one who brings calm. I'll give you a few verses. Psalm 65, verse 7. We read there, You who still the noise of the seas, the noise of their waves. And then it says, And the tumult of the peoples. <laughs> right? He's the one who, who uh, settles that, who stills that, even of the peoples. Psalm 77, 16. The water saw you, O God, the water saw you. They were afraid. Wow. Waters aren't afraid of anything except of Christ. Nahum 1. The Lord has his way in the world when it says, and the storm. The clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. And then we read Psalm 107. Right? We read about the, the fishermen, the, the, the boats, their businessmen. They would use the sea as their mode of travel often very dangerous. And we read these words. They see the works of the Lord, his wonders of the deep. It must be quite something to be in the middle of a great big ocean and just see the wonders of God. And just imagine what's living underneath the waters. For he commands and raises a stormy wind. He lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. And their soul melts because of trouble. And then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble. He brings them out of their distresses. The cal- he calms the storm so that its waves are still. Who does that? Jesus. Mark 4. Jesus was asleep. And now he arises and calming the storm of the sea. Jesus does again what only God can do. He's God. He's Lord. The wind stopped. The sea became calm. The stars appeared. And you can just imagine, suddenly, suddenly, there is not even a... Sometimes when there's a storm, it takes a while before the the waves start slowing down. But this is sudden. The water becomes like a mirror, mirroring the stars of the heavens. It's calm. Very calm. Great calm. Picture that what Christ can do that in your hearts, in my heart, in our hearts and lives. That's, that's, that's powerful. That's the powerful effect of his word. Really, it's true. 
Disciples begin to see in Jesus more than just a man, a teacher. Christ, the one asleep in the ship, now discloses himself before his disciples in his majesty and his glory. Think of Isaiah when he saw God in the temple. Holy, holy, holy. The earth is full of his glory. And he falls on his face. That's what they begin to see here. The voice of Jesus is the voice of the Lord is over the water, says Psalm 29. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. His own disciples come to see him in a new way, in a more glorious way, as a mighty God. He is the mighty God of heaven and earth. You know, it's very comforting to know that. That he's this majestic, this powerful, the one that we fall down before. Because this shows that he is able to protect us. The ability, as he has promised. It's always unsettling when a person first comes to know Jesus in this way. You begin to see him. Yes, indeed, he is a friend. The one who is alongside of us. But he's also the great God of heaven and earth. We need one who is so powerful, who is so holy, that he can bring out this, bring that, bring this calm to us and get rid of the hostile powers. The winds and the seas obey him. That's powerful. And that brings us to the third great, the great, the third mega, the mega fear. Or fear here literally means the mega uh, respect, reverence, awe. So it's not necessarily terror. Although verse 40 speaks more about terror, but verse 41, it's just that the disciples begin to see and they're just overawed. And they fall down basically before the majesty of Christ. Or at least they bring out this powerful question, who then is this? Before we go there, get, uh, get there, you look at verse 40. You notice how the disciples, they were very rude to Jesus. He doesn't even rebuke them for that. He simply rebukes them in a very loving way. He says, why are you afraid? I mean, think, think how it must have hurt Christ. He descended he condescended from heaven to do this for his people. And they don't trust him? Why are you so afraid? Is there no faith? His rebuke is so filled with love. Why are you so afraid? He knows that we're easily afraid. That's why he says that. We're just, we, get, we are very scared people. We often are. We have a lot of worries. We have a lot of fears. We have a lot of anxieties. That's, that's us. That's, that's his people. We lack faith. That's, that's a picture. What you see in the disciples is a picture of us. And Jesus knows that. And that's why he says, why? You don't need to. It's his word of assurance to us. It's a word of rebuke. It's a word of assurance. Psalm 56.3 says, When I'm afraid... I will trust in you. You know that song? When I am afraid, I will trust in you. I, I don't know if Hope Academy knows that song. I will trust in you. I will trust in you. Um, you say, yeah, but I can't trust in him. Yeah, but still, turn to Jesus. And he hears. Every child may sing this. Psalm 50, verse 15. 
What does God say? He says, call upon me. In the day of trouble, I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Who's the one that glorifies him? The one in whom he, by the gift of his grace, brings calm by the power of his spirit. Of course, we're always going back to him again and again for that. Why are you so afraid? But you know, the lack, when there's a lack, the lack is never in Christ. The lack is never in his promises. They're 100% sure. But where's the lack? The lack is always in us. It always is. It's in our lack of trust. When the raging sea expresses its turmoil within us. But remember, Jesus didn't buy... Who did Jesus buy with his blood? Sinners. Afraid people. Fearful people. Worried people. And now he's saying, I bought you with my blood. And now you belong to me. Body and soul. Life and death. Forever. Wow, that's your only comfort. Trust him. Verse 41, briefly, after the great calm, we read, they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the waves obey him? They had great fear, mega fear. And the fear here is not so much the terror, but a tremendous awe, a tremendous respect. Wow, this is who Jesus really is. I never knew. And this is the amazing thing. When we, we grow in our faith, we discover who Jesus is in his fullness. Yeah, truly man, a friend, but also truly powerful God full of majesty and glory and power. It's this kind of amazement that Mary, remember when Mary and the other woman went to the tomb and they heard that Jesus had arisen? They were terrified. In other words, they were awestruck. Wow, this is who Jesus really is. Or when John, remember when he, in his vision, saw the ascended Christ in heaven? He saw him, just had a glimpse of his glory. And he says, and he fell down as dead at his feet. What does Christ do? This is who I am. But he put his right hand on John. He says, don't be afraid. We need this kind of Savior to protect us from the, from the hostilities of the world. The, the church is the boat, really, in the world. Tossed to and fro. We're called to trust him. Brothers and sisters, there's no greater awe than the awe of God's grace and love for you on the cross. Because by the power of his divinity, he carried in his humanity the weight of all God's wrath in your place. That's not love. What is love? This is love. He did it all for you and me. And he did this to earn for us his righteousness and his life. You know what? It's Christ who saves us, not our faith. Our faith doesn't save us. Christ saves us through faith. However tiny that faith is. Because he's really big. We're really tiny. We're really timid. 
He's really big. Your faith might not be big, but he is big. And he is big enough to care for all your needs. Every need he can provide for you. He's the source of the calm. He comes to the ship every Sunday again. Putting his hands over fearful hearts and souls. And we, filled with awe, receive his calm, his spirit, to obey. Yeah, yeah. The winds and the sea obey. You know what? When he brings that calm in us by his spirit, we yield ourselves in obedience to him, in love to him. You know, it's, it's trust. When we trust in the Lord, that's the calmness, and it shows itself in a life of faithfulness, a life of obedience. He did to the waves. He is so powerful, he can do it in us. He's a God. We can expect great things from God. We need to go to him. Trust him. Read Mark 4, 35 to 41 again. Is there anything, anything that can harm you? With Jesus in the midst, there is nothing to fear. Even the wind and the sea obey him. Who then is this? And you'll notice, the answer is not given here. That's for you to answer. And that's for me to answer. He only calls for responsive faith and trust. Amen.